my advice for anyone starting out is find out what your unfair advantage is. Maybe you are amazing at lighting. Maybe you're amazing at color grading, whatever that is, and really niche down as much as possible. And I think that's going to allow you to elevate above other people who probably do way too many things anyways. You know what I mean? Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra, here with my incredible co-host, Mr. Shane Reitzamer. Shane, how are you doing today, my friend? Great, man. Great to be back for season two. I almost season said two, episode bro. two, but it's season two. I know. Ready to uh, rock and roll this year, 2024. Got some great guests lined up. And man, always great to just be in the studio with my bro. Agree, man. Couldn't be uh, couldn't be happier to be back, man. And stoked for season two. Uh, today's guest is a very special guest. I know I say that all the time, uh, but today's guest truly is a, a pioneer. And I don't mean that in just like, oh yeah, he's some pioneer. This dude is truly paving new grounds in the film industry, has made a tremendous impact on me, the shots that I create and just being inspired from seeing someone go out and do something really unique in the film industry and give new life to how people are shooting today and how people are just making money as filmmakers and really paving lots of new ground in several different arenas. Uh, I'm probably going to miss a few accolades, but we have a uh, DP, Steadicam operator, podcast host himself, co-founder of multiple film studio locations, co-owner of Tropic Color and the iconic game-changing prism lens effects filters given up for Mr. Tom Totter. Welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a very <laughs> flattering intro. I appreciate the the shout out and yeah, happy to be here. I love it, man. Well, you have definitely made a, a big impact on me and I love to give people their flowers while they're still here, man. Uh, some of the stuff that you've done with just your companies and shooting and uh, really just like the education. I mean, so many different outlets uh, that you have kind of poured into the film industry and just want to give my appreciation right out the gate for all that you've done because it has made a big impact on me and how I shoot today, man. Uh, thank you, man. What I love about these guys too is you know, not only is it so, you know, Joey and I talk about this all the time. You know, if we had to split it up, it's art and business. And, you know, we have that war and I run a lot of the business and strategy and he runs a lot of the art and we cross over, of course. Right. We're both creatives. We're both businessmen. Mm -hmm. But looking at, you know, you and your business partners, you guys have changed the game. Y'all are like setting the bar high for everybody else. Right. So we look up to you guys and go, these guys got film locations. They got products out there that's helping other filmmakers right you're not just in it to to make the cash but you have turned it into a business yeah um and so mad respect from my side as well from a business standpoint uh you guys are crushing it so i can't wait to jump into some of that as well heck yeah no i'm i'm excited i mean but wherever you guys want to kind of take it or start like yeah. I'm, I'm happy to kind of dive into it and maybe i can kind of start from just how even all the companies like came about. I don't know if that's a good place to kind of yeah, start and we can go from there. Let's do it, man. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I think, uh, I guess, yeah, story time for a little bit. Uh, like a lot of your guests, and I'm sure yourselves included, like started out always being interested in film. I'm not going to go back to the picking up a high eight days. I feel like we all have that shared story. I think for me, like where my path was interesting is I went to film school, which is maybe kind of a controversial topic now because I wouldn't go now, but in 2013, when I like went to Chapman in Orange County, it, it definitely was kind of like 
the next like ladder rung, if you will, like you're climbing the ladder, like that to me seemed like the next logical like place to go. So I went there, got a lot out of it. I actually, I really enjoyed my experience there. I had some really cool teachers, but like beyond film school, uh, that was kind of when I was like starting to freelance and like get on set and met my business partner, Jacob Owens, who we just started out the first like probably five years just going like full grind mode. Like we were shooting so many music videos. That was actually a lot to him. Like prior to meeting him, like he had already kind of built a business for himself, like the Buff Nerds YouTube channel. He had built just like this roster of artists and he had just moved to LA. And yeah, it's kind of like a funny story. I was like shooting a music video for this uh, like kind of like surf rock band uh, for fun, right? Like would go to their live concert or, or like their, uh, live shows and film it and like give them the footage and stuff. And they randomly approached me like, Hey, like we're doing a music video with this guy named Jacob. Have you ever heard of him? I was like, Oh no, never heard of him. He's like, well, do you want to pull up? Cause at the time I had like financed like a red scarlet camera in like 2012. Right. So that was kind of like the big camera back then, or at least what I could afford. And he's like, yo, it'd be cool to like have you come with your red camera and like bring it to this set that we're working with this, this music video director. And I was like, yeah, sure. And literally just like walked into his studio. I'm like, Hey, my name is Tom. I have this red camera. And like Jake was inside. Cool. And just like put me in the mix. I was like, you know, operating and shooting. It was like one of my first music videos. And at the end, like it wasn't even like even paid, which was funny. It was just kind of one of those things where I was just kind of excited to like be in Los Angeles and like shooting a video for a band that I'd already been working with. And like upon leaving, it was kind of like, yo, like, so I have this camera. Like if you ever shoot more videos, like let me know. And he's like, dude, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, oh yeah. And like literally that was like the domino that like led to so much other stuff. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into all the business stuff, but that's kind of like how it all started as like a freelancer, just like literally going on like a kind of like a music video grind. And like literally for the last 10 years, probably less so now, cause I am more focused on like the day to day with the businesses. But from like 2013 to like probably COVID like 2021, we probably did like 500 music videos, some huge, some small, sometimes two in one day. Like we just went like, we went pretty hard, uh, hard to, to, you know, in that period of time, you know, so. That's, that's epic, man. I love the, uh, the freelance and doing the first project for free story. Like, I feel like that resonates with a lot of people, you know, and they're come up. Let me ask you though, outside of music yeah. video stuff and band stuff, were you shooting other types of content or like really was that like you cut your teeth on music? I mean, 500 music videos, yeah, dude, that is a, that's a portfolio right there. Were you doing anything else as well? Commercial work? Yeah. So it was a lot of music videos. I think like the, obviously the, if you were to look at the ratio, definitely, uh, anything in comparison to like 500 videos would be a lot smaller. I think for me, the cool thing like going to film school that I really enjoyed is it definitely forced me to shoot like narrative projects, right? Because mm. not that they like dismissed or looked down on it, but like the school was set up like from like a top down level from like the curriculum. So like have you walk away from graduating with like a thesis film, which is like a, a 20 minute, you know, uh, short film with that you make with your peers, which is cool because like, it puts me a cinematographer with another director with a screenwriter with an editor so like everyone who's in a film school is kind of has their own little like niche and you get together and work on this film and it's funny like having that camera the red scarlet like a lot of people were like yo i want you to shoot my thesis film so like i ended up like walking away with like six like pretty dope like short films like some of these directors spent like 25 to 50k on some of these shorts you know so i, I was able to walk away from film school with like a pretty amazing like like cinematography portfolio with a lot of narrative work but i guess to answer your question 
what's really cool is like I was able to bring a lot of like my sensibilities of things I learned in film school, like shooting narrative projects and like bring that to a lot of the music videos, which mm. I've always kind of looked at music videos as like, like almost going to the gym or like going to the lab, right? You're like just experimenting. You're, you're training that muscle. You're working that muscle. And sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you do a music video and like you or the director's like, Hey, let's do this all with purple lighting. And you're like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then you see the video and it's like, okay, that was kind of weird. I would never do that again. <laughs> but the cool thing is like people watching music videos are typically fans of the artist. They're not like cinematography experts. So if you kind of strike out on a video, like it's a cool learning experience. So to kind of be able to cut your teeth on so many music videos or music videos in general as like a kind of like a starting out thing, like is really cool because it allows you just to try things. We're on a mm. narrative project you don't really have that leeway because if you try something and it doesn't really serve the story, you're probably not going to get hired again from that director mm -hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's such a brilliant perspective on music videos. I think one of my favorite things about doing them is it's like, it's, it's just a playground for us to learn and experience and do things that we would never get the opportunity to do from a cinematography, from a lighting, from a set design standpoint that would take place in a narrative project. Like so many, uh, oh, yeah. you can just create a world um, that is strictly for the purpose of entertaining your audience versus like, like it doesn't have to make 100% sense, it's just entertainment, which is a beautiful place oh, yeah, for, totally. for filmmakers to experiment and create just without boundaries. So one of the things that, you know, I love doing music videos. I definitely don't have 500 under my belt, but one of the things that I've noticed is like back in the day, like MTV jams, like when all of that was popping off, like music videos were like the thing to create for music artists. But nowadays, like because of social media, like music videos is almost a dying art form due to like reels. Oh, yeah. And like, as somebody who's done so many music videos and has that in their, you know, in their portfolio, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, m independent music artists shifting to creating like Instagram and TikTok reels for their music because it has a much wider reach at the end of the day for way less budget. Oh yeah. Um, like what are your thoughts on just like the music video industry kind of taking a dip? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And I will say like my perspective on it now is based off of me not really being in that same grind that I was when I was starting out as a filmmaker. So there probably are people who are still in that sort of music video rat race who could probably speak to it a bit better. But from someone who actually is involved in my companies and my business partner does handle a lot more of the social media stuff, but I see what we're posting and like the strategies we're taking with paid media, Facebook and reels and TikTok that yeah, you see an artist and it seems like the strategy now is to have them like in their studio and an on-screen caption saying, use this audio for, because, you know, that's the whole thing, right? If you're an artist, you want your sound or audio to be replicated and used in like hundreds of thousands of reels. So it's like fundamentally a different strategy. Yeah. And I imagine like artists who previously would spend mm -hmm. five, 10 or 25, maybe, you know, even on the bigger on a hundred K on a video, like, to them, that's probably just a waste of money because it's like, why not just make short form content on a phone that costs nothing 
And yeah, it, it is definitely like a huge shift. And I think we're even experiencing that shift as filmmakers because, you know, typically posting Vibe stills or a Vimeo staff pick or like these things that our community would normally recognize as accolades is kind of getting like 12 likes. So mm. it's like, so like we even found that when we were shooting like promo stuff for our companies. Like we would spend yeah. sometimes $10,000 steady cam, red anamorphic lenses and like shoot these really cool commercials for our prism lens effects brand. And the light bulb moment was we would like, we had a guy who was like a BTS guy, literally just getting phone videos of me pushing in on steady cam, my friend holding the filter and his phone videos did better than our like $10,000 steady cam. So that was kind of like the inflection point. We're like, Oh, maybe we don't need to rent all this gear. And it was kind of a sad day because like coming up as a filmmaker, you like obviously want to like continue to exercise those muscles. But when we're running a creative business, you do have to like kind of lean into like what's working. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about like the business stuff later in the pod. But yeah, it was definitely like a, I'm sure music videos and filmmaking are kind of at this unique crossroads where like the art of sharing is definitely more based off of like virality and hook rate versus like, of a really cinematic silhouette or whatever you yeah. typically would share to your, your social media or something. So it's, that's yeah. so true, man. I think everybody is feeling it. I know as a, you know, we do a lot of corporate commercial, you know, some, some broadcast spots, but the biggest thing we get asked for now is the social shorts and social retainers, right? Everybody wants short form. And mm -hmm. a lot of times we, we look at the analytics and we, we're like, yeah, we're going to shoot some on, you know, our nice FX threes or our reds, and then we're going to shoot some on iPhone. And, you know, yeah. our clients are like, what? And we're like, these are going to probably perform better, but you want to have the variety of both. You want to show yeah. the value of your brand, but you also want to show this organic transparency. And it, it is one of the most, mm -hmm. like, you know, requested products yeah. now. It's, it's definitely changed, you know, all markets, I think, in filmmaking, at least in the corporate commercial, you know, paid ad organic uh, space. Yeah, I, I definitely want to to jump into some of your businesses. I got one more question, though, on the music video thing before we jump off yeah. of that, though. But like uh, as somebody who is a seasoned vet in making music videos, I'm curious, what are some of <clears throat> the most important things that you look to bring to a music video project when you go and do one? Obviously, you know, the story, the lighting, everything is important. But what are some of the most important things or, or advice that you could give to an independent artist who's trying to make music videos in the space to really make a successful project or having a, a successful approach to making music video projects uh, when they're getting started and climbing up the ladder. And would my advice be more geared towards the aspiring filmmaker making videos or 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 the musician or, or just so i can kind of more so on the question. more so on the filmmaking side you know like as somebody okay. making music videos and maybe they have like a smaller budget to work with what are some of the mm. most important things that you would look to bring to a project um to really give it life yeah, yeah. i think having done so many videos a majority with jake uh, but some with other directors. And that's the thing. When you work with a new director, you kind of have to like, it's like going on like a first date. You kind of have to like learn what they like, what they don't like. And I'm sure we all enjoy working with, you know, frequent collaborators because there's almost like you don't have to say anything and you kind of know that they're going to like this low angle or this wide lens. So a lot of times working with these first time directors, not first time in the sense that they've never done a video, but my first time working on them, uh, shooting their video that they're directing, um, some of the mistakes I would see are 
like overshooting, right? Like spending, I feel like, right, like a, a filmmaking day, music video, commercial, narrative project is a box. And in that box is 12 hours. And everyone kind of gets that box. Sure, you might go over time. Sure, you might wrap earlier. But what you do inside that box is basically like how you use that time. And I've been on videos where the first three hours were literally waiting in the camera village. And it's like, oh, yeah, the artist is late. There's going to be variables that you can't control. But what you can control is, I would think, like your shot selection. And I feel like the videos my friends, DPs, directors show me, even my wife, oh, hey, did you see this crazy shot from this little Nas X video or this video? Like it's the shots that are kind of like, whoa, how did they do that? And I feel like putting more energy into a shot that can be shared, like case in point, I know obviously your your uh, kind of question was more like what advice for younger and coming up filmmakers. And I understand the reference I'm about to give is probably from like a huge 100K video, but you look at that, like, um, I think two videos come to mind. They're a little older, but you have like the Childish Gambino, This Is America video. I mm. feel like that kind of like took over the internet. You also have like uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, Humble. And I feel like I've seen that shot of him standing in that light yep. right in so many treatment <laughs> decks. So like those, those videos, I feel like leaned into like, okay, how can we just make really powerful shots and lean into like, just doing a powerful shot, maybe a close up. I feel like the inexperienced creator would be like, oh wow, look at this amazing lighting setup. Let's get a macro of the hands, the feet, the mouth. And they overshoot to where it's kind of like losing its power. Mm -hmm. Like you look at some of those videos and they only live on that wide shot for a few seconds, boom, they cut to something else. And I feel like knowing to have some restraint and knowing that like maybe putting more energy and focus, like maybe you just set up for an hour and set up just one amazing shot, one amazing lighting setup and shoot just a couple choice pieces of coverage versus like oh let's spend five hours spraying it down and shooting everything i feel like that would probably be the biggest piece of advice i know it's kind of long-winded but like having more like intention in the idea that what you're creating could be shared potentially if that makes sense nah so. man that's that's so good and so valuable and i know i've even been guilty uh when i do music videos yeah. of like sometimes I'll oh we all like, are yeah yeah i want like three to four takes of one angle and then i'm gonna move on and i'm gonna get three to four takes of another one and then another one and then i get back to the edit and i'm like bro i have 25 layers of this one scene of like full performance takes and i'm like I, like this is exhausting to go through at this point now and like having those restraints to where it's like, okay, like this is what I have to work with and like let me get creative in the B-roll or like just dial in these couple of moments. Like mm -hmm. one, it allows the edit to be like a way better experience too, but also the final product is like, it's just a, you know, having those powerful Im images, like it just makes it a better final product. So I love that, man. Yeah. I think too, like the overshooting for sure in terms of takes on music videos, I think is, is another like kind of not a big no, no. I mean, obviously if you need to get a certain like moment, cause you're timing this moment with the song, but like in narrative, yeah, sure. Go 10 takes. Cause you maybe want this like moment from your actor or actress, but in a music video, I think you really do need to be like less precious. Cause it's like, dude, you just, the video is going to be better when there's more to it. And like you, like you said, having 20 takes of the same thing that's not going to make the video better. Like no. that 1% thing you're trying to get out of your artist or whatever. So, mm -hmm. um, but I, yeah, no, it's, it's fun, man. I feel like we all kind of learn from videos and I learned a, a ton and I still love watching music videos. I think there's such a cool art form. I think for me, I had a moment kind of coming up, which led to some of these like companies that we can you know talk about is 
being in this rat race, doing so many videos, um, it, it can get exhausting. It can get creatively exhausting. And I feel like there's been a few things recently, uh, mind you, it didn't really happen when I was coming up, but like these kind of like world events we can't control, right? Like mm. COVID or a writer's strike, like having all your eggs in one basket as a freelancer and literally like Thanos, like snap and you have no work is a terrifying feeling. And there has been moments in my career, even it, though it sounds like, oh my God, it sounds like he's been so busy. Like, no, I mean, there has been periods of time as a freelancer where like, it's a little quiet, like a little too quiet. And you're like, okay, like when's the next one coming in? And that's kind of like when the light bulb moment came or turned on for me and my business partner, where like at, at the time, I think it was 2017, we were spending like a lot of money on like magic bullet looks and this one film grain website. And we were like, dude, like, why don't we just like make our own, like, even if it's just for our own projects, like let's just make our own LUTs, make our own film grain, like, and cool, we'll just have this cool little asset or texture we can use on our own projects. And we never really had the idea of like making like a huge e-commerce platform. It was just like, cool, like let's do it. And we started to sell it and it started to take off. And it was like, huh, like I just made more last night than like my whole rate as a DP. That's when I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then, yeah, it, it kind of allows for like financial freedom and the term passive income, which I kind of hate the term passive income because nothing's truly passive. You probably yeah. had to spend 10 or 20 or 50 hours making that LUT or grain. It is passive in the sense that after all that upfront work is done, you can like generously collect like all the benefits from it, but nothing is like truly passive. But on that notion, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, to kind of like segue into like being more entrepreneurial as a filmmaker, it just stemmed from like not having the stability of like a nine to five. And like, I feel like creating your own companies allows you to have some baseline of income between jobs, if that makes sense. So yeah, no, that that is super, super true. And something that I've even been <clears throat> learning more of uh, just as I go on in my film career, it's like you get you hit those seasons where it's like feast or famine. And when it's, you know, yeah. you went, when it's not good and the phone isn't ringing, it's like, you got to look to other avenues. And so even me and, in, in uh, my, just in my business, I started shifting into doing real estate on the side as well to supplement mm. some of the, you know, seasons when filmmaking was really slow. And so, uh, not to like go down that rabbit hole or anything, but I would love to, to jump into some of your businesses and, uh, we can start even really at Tropic Color. I think was Tropic Color before Prism. That was the first one, yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into Tropic. I mean, you kind of talked about you know creating those film assets and and whatnot. Um, but give me a little bit more in terms of like when you started kicking that thing off, like where where it led to, where it grew into. For those that aren't familiar mm -hmm. with Tropic, kind of give me um, a little bit on just like you kicking that project off and like what it's doing right now. Yeah. So, um, I guess to start, yeah, in 2017, like I kind of hinted at, uh, me and my business partner who I was kind of on that, that grind with, uh, Jacob Owens, uh, we, we kind of had that moment of like, cool, like let's start making assets. Like I was just touching on. And what we came up with was the a company called Tropic Color. And the idea, I, I don't know if like you can relate, like maybe this is just a weird thing. I, I, I love buying domains. Like I sometimes will just be laying in bed and like, dude, that's a dope domain. I'll literally, my GoDaddy's crazy. Like I have so many just <laughs> random domain names. And like over the years, I, I think I had just, 
I think at one point, like while I was in film school, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to like be a, a freelance colorist. And I love the like the iconography of like a palm tree. So I was like, oh, like maybe I'll just buy the domain name Tropic Color with like the idea of my company, you know, like Company Three or the Mill. I was like, oh, like my whatever. So I bought that domain for like I think like three dollars or whatever. <laughs> Years later, my my buddy Jake's like, yeah, let's make this like digital asset company. Like maybe we sell our LUTs that we're using on our music videos. And I was like, dude. I love it. I got this domain name, Tropic Color. And we're like, all right, cool. And like awesome. literally just built this like really jank Squarespace site. I feel like no no shade to Squarespace. I think they're great for like DPs or directors who want to like layer like images and portfolio. But as far as like e-commerce, I do think like Shopify is like the best. We can get into all that later. But yeah, all to say the first iteration of Tropic Color was like a jank Squarespace site. I never went to school for business or website design, literally just tried to like bootstrap it, like watching tutorials. And it was just crazy. Like literally the first kind of big push, uh, you know, on social media. And like I said, my business partner has a, you know, YouTube channel with almost a million subscribers. So like we were able to like, Hey, like we're doing this. And like the first like wave, I remember just like refreshing the, my like Chrome browser, like Squarespace dashboard and just like, boom, order, boom, order. I was like, I've never experienced something like that. I was like, wait, this is kind of crazy. And the light bulb moment for us was like, wait, we don't have to go in and package and fulfill mm. or go make a t-shirt or go put something in a box and ship it off to Nebraska. Like these are auto being fulfilled since it's like a digital asset. And I feel like I'm not going to like sit here and be like, say like we invented digital assets. We were the first like, heck no, like we got inspired by other companies, but I definitely think we were probably one of the first like filmmakers to like, you know, like, like filmmakers, meaning like, not like magic bullet or these massive companies like just like a little like freelance filmmaker to make like an e-commerce store and now i feel like digital assets are kind of a little oversaturated which i mean it has its pluses and minuses but i think at the time there's really nothing else like it and that was just a crazy moment for us because like yeah to go out and dp for a thousand or fifteen hundred but like to like look at your phone and you're making that same amount of money like overnight like is a crazy feeling and like that kind of just led us to go even harder on it, like partnering with graphic designers and like renting, you know, going to the rental houses in LA and like getting a Panavision camera and like shooting a bunch of film stocks. And it really like allowed us to like lean further into it to where I am today, where that's all I do. I, all I do is manage the companies because they're, they've gotten so much bigger than what I could do as a freelancer. Sorry. So like, that's kind of uh yeah, that uh, in short, that's kind of like how, the kind of entrepreneurial business things kicked off. It just kind of came naturally from coming up as a freelancer. And then, yeah, it just sort of like kind of uh, domino affected from there, if that makes sense. So Con dude, congrats on all the success. And I, and I love that story. And, and for me, like I, I kind of had to leave some of the, uh, the art side and, and filming and set stuff and focus on the business. Let me ask you, cause I think, you know, I struggle with this sometimes. Do you miss, being on set and doing the grind and the hustle of creating the art or as the yeah. entrepreneurship for me, you know, sometimes that fulfills that creative drive as well. So where are you in that space? No, that's a really great question. And I get to ask that a lot, like even sometimes in DMS, like, Oh yeah, I, I loved following your like cinematography journey. Mm. Like I noticed you don't shoot anymore. Like people like will sometimes reach out and I'm, you know, and ask that question. So um, no, I'm, I'm happy to answer that. So, the short answer is, yeah, I do sometimes miss it. But the longer answer is there was so many times, uh, and I don't mean to sound like a pessimist because I, I loved that journey of really just grinding. But 
the the term grind insinuates you are beating yourself up to do this thing and like sometimes foregoing like things that your life needs like a break a vacation seeing your family dating like you kind of when you're all your chips are in on grinding it can like be a little soul sucking and that aspect uh, it was kind of like I, I attribute to like kind of like being like maybe Steve Jobs uh, not to say I'm anywhere near him but like that whole <laughs> starting out in a garage and grinding and bootstrapping like I was kind of looking at the grind as like a startup right mm -hmm. like you're just you're all in on this thing and I guess to your question like do I miss that there are elements to shooting that I, of course, miss. I look at shows on Netflix and in the theaters, and I will always love cinematography. Like, I'll never switch that part of my brain off. But to your point, like, being an entrepreneur or, like, owning a creative business, if that's an agency, a production company like yours, or even just, like, an uh, you know, DTC e-commerce store, like, there is something really fulfilling about making products that people want to buy. Like, that mm -hmm. is something I never thought in a million years going to film school or shooting videos that I would enjoy. And the cool thing about it is these companies, the ones I run, need content. Like they literally, as you know, as content creators and running a production company yourself, these brands that are approaching you, they need content. So like we're uniquely suited because we literally do that. So like when we need a video for our landing page or a graphic or a video for our marketing team to run an ad for, we just go down to like one of our studios or go shoot like, so we can still exercise that muscle. I think it'd be different if like me and my business partner, like put on corporate suits and like, we just did something so removed from filmmaking, but like our company service, the filmmaking, our creative industry. So like, we're able to still create on our own time. And the cool thing is we don't have like a client or someone overarching us. Like that shot is too dark or why aren't we getting a close up? It's like, dude, I can get whatever shots I want. Like, mm. I, I'm not like, you know, uh, behold it to like an overarch. So that, that aspect of it's kind of cool. So I love that the most. I, so we do some spec shoots, you know, for cinema story and Joey and I always look at each other and we're like, dude, this is the most fun we've had on set in forever. Cause the same thing right there. Oh, it's like, yeah. you get to call the shots and decide, you know, yeah, we don't need that close up or, Oh, I do want to take the time to get this, you know, specialty shot. Right. Dude, that's uh, yeah. I, I agree with you, man. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for that perspective on the the business versus the art, and that's yeah. super cool <laughs> that you still get to do you know all of it, you know, and the, and on your own time, and that's that's amazing. I think it is like, I guess to visually uh, convey, it is kind of like that uh, like circus trapeze, right? The guy on the high rope that's sort of towing this very narrow fine line. You lean one too far to one side in like the business side. Then you lose touch with the creative, yep. which I think obviously can be kind of, uh, you know, as a creative person myself, like unfulfilling. Or if you lean too far to the creative, the business stuff goes by the wayside. Mm. So I don't mean to like overgeneralize and make it sound easy. You do need to toe this fine line mm. of like balance, you know, because uh, that really uh, we, we have sometimes tilted way too far to the creative. And a lot of the business stuff got unchecked and we like had to dig ourselves out of a hole or the other side, like we'd be like six months grinding on all this like business and operational and other aspects. And it's like, dude, we haven't been on set in like six months. So like, I do think no matter what you do, if you are diving into being a creative entrepreneur or running a creative business, like having that, uh, that balance is very important. So mm. man, one of the things that I know, you know, you've even talked about like switching from, you know, doing all of the onset stuff to doing your own businesses. 
and I know just from keeping up with your journey, like at one point you DP'd and then you gave all of that up to go to Steadicam. And then now you've kind of given up operating in the field to focus on, you know, the, the, even just like one company to the next company to, you know, all the different endeavors. Yeah. Part of that journey is having to go through a lot of different identity changes where you're like, I am a DP, mm. I am a Steadicam operator, I am an entrepreneur. And then just like wrestling with uh, like, cause I've gone through identity changes and I'm like, man, like sometimes I feel uh, like almost hesitation to move forward in, in one area of life because I feel so closely connected to like being a DP yeah. is my identity or being a this or a that, or, you know, whatever came before it. How did you, cause and I think a lot of listeners too, like have gone through different stages of like my identity is shifting. How do you feel like you yeah. handled, um, you know, going through that identity shift and like stepping into this new role, uh, where other people can kind of relate to that? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Cause I mean, dude, I wish it was so easy and I could eloquently frame it to where, you know, it, it makes total sense, but I'm still figuring out my identity as well. You know what I mean? I've also always kind of struggled with social media. I feel like, you know, the way I kind of position and show, it made more sense when I was just DPing because cool, I'll just share frames and clips from stuff. But as I started to like dive into so much stuff, I like internally like, okay, well, do I share the fact that we just opened this film location or is that going to like confuse my audience? So maybe I'll just keep sharing filmmaking stuff. And I guess to your point, I'm sure a lot of people who are maybe making a transition from like one phase of their career creatively to another or starting to do new things is there was a moment where I kind of like looked at maybe these changes. I, I had to kind of reframe it I, for a moment was like, is this like a failure, right? Like, did I come to the end of an alley and this was not my path and I have to go back down this alley and try a different alley. And I, it's it's cool. I've been reading this book, and I I think you actually DM me, uh, uh, Joey. It's by this guy named Ed Catmull, who was a you know basically the co-founder of Pixar, and he talks about like leading creative teams. And he has this like really cool section in the book about failure and how you need to like reframe it to where imagine you go down that alley. I went down that alley hypothetically as a cinematographer for eight years and kind of hit a dead end to where. I didn't really want to do that anymore. I wanted to focus on other things. And I think it's important to like kind of not treat that dead end as a failure and maybe look at that neighborhood you ended up in and take one or two things with you to the next alleyway. And one of those alleyways will be a full long road. It'll be a road you take through the rest of your life. And I feel like that's kind of the road I'm on now. So I kind of looked at these like side quests or these different things I was interested in all as kind of like taking a couple things from over here and over here that kind of allowed me to like what I'm doing now. I have so many more insights from being a cinematographer for eight years, a Steadicam operator for four. Um, oh, you know, so like all of these things kind of allow me to do what I'm doing now more effectively. But I think it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, that didn't work out. I kind of gave that up and like have a negative connotation on it versus like, no, I did that for four years. I learned these things and I'm still using those things in my work today, if that makes sense. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, so good, man. So good. And I think there's, you know, a lot that we can just take from that. And <clears throat> I think that most creatives go through that season where they're, you know, trying to step into a new, you know, identity or they're wrestling with leaving one behind and, or, or just, you know, excelling in the one and, and maintaining the one that they have. So I think that's super insightful, man. You touched on one thing, uh, before we get off topic, 
that I want to revisit too. Uh, the market is definitely like when you got into it, it was not nearly as saturated. Like there was, there was almost not, not that it hadn't been done, but there was not, uh, nearly the supply, uh, for people that there is today. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the market is so saturated now to where it's almost too late for other people to get into the game? Or like, do, do you feel like the time is always now for creatives to kind of, you know, be making stuff that other people can gain, you know, rip a little bit of what they're doing, like from a color, like here's how, here's my Lutz color, just like yeah. me or like, what do you feel like? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you have to just be ever aware of the marketplace, right? Like I think right now more than ever, it is saturated, uh, maybe to a positive in the degree that all this competition like is causing new and better things to come out. Um, but also maybe as a negative, cause if you're like, Oh, I, I liked hearing your story about creating a, a an online, you know, digital asset company. Uh, I want to do that too. Yeah. I mean, obviously making a store right now and selling LUTs and Lightroom presets. I mean, even now courses, you know, like yep. so many people have these courses and cohorts and all of these things that kind of feel like a sea of, it's all the same where it's kind of like hard to emerge from that. And I think the one thing I would lean into is before doing that, even if you want to, is maybe assess like what your unfair advantage is. Like, mm. what's the one thing you'd be like, okay, if I were to do this right now, what's the one thing that gives me the upper hand? And if I were to do it again today, I'd be like, okay, well, I, I know a lot about cinematography. Maybe I will make an e-commerce e store selling lighting diagrams or lighting tutorials like why go into something like oh i'll make lutz if you're not really a colorist or i'll go and make a course if you haven't really learned or mastered the thing you want to teach so i think it's very easy to like kind of follow what's being done where i think you should almost like reverse engineer but like okay if you know you want to do you know i guess speaking in terms of like building an online store and selling products and stuff like really focus in on like what you are the best at that's gonna like give you that edge against somebody else otherwise your LUTs or your film grain I hate to say it probably are gonna like blend into a lot of other companies so if you have that unique thing that kind of makes you like rise above and I know it sounds a little generic but like that's always allowed me to like approach our companies of like okay like what have I done and what about me can I bring to this company that's gonna make it different than like Tiffin and Schneider and these other guys it's like all right well no shade to them. I do feel like they're a very corporate style business. And like, I'm a cinematographer. Like I'm going to shoot my product photos with haze and color lighting. Like that's something that they don't do. And like, like kind of approaching the aspects of your business from like what you're good at will always, I think, lead to you being successful. If that makes it sense. If that makes sense. Yep. That's fantastic, so. man. I love that. Um, I, I would love to jump into Prism too. I mean, I, I'm, I could talk about any one of the different businesses that you, you've kicked off, but man, a lot yeah. of, a lot of people don't know, you know, a lot of people utilize the filters now and they don't know like what it took to, to bring that to life. But I remember seeing you like in the shop, learning how to like work with glass and like, Oh dude, this like, story's crazy. <laughs> go ahead. It was like in 2018, like near, like after having done Tropicolor for a year and a half, like me and my business partner, like, all right, like we're thinking, okay, like what can we do next? Like, this is fun. Like the, the entrepreneurial like bug was like kind of, or like the fire was kind of lit. We're like kind of excited to try to do something else. And we were kind of at the time still doing music videos, running Tropicolor and 
we at the time we we're doing a video where uh, it was so funny i think it was like a a rap video you're we like in like a kind of industrial warehouse and i remember using like a broken uh i think like wine or champagne flute i had this little like pelican case of all these like light bulbs and little like handheld little just janky pieces of glass and i remember like dodging it and holding it and like the artist been like yo like what are you doing? And like trying to not like cut my hand holding this broken wine or champagne flute. And that's like I, when we wrapped me and my buddy were like me and, and Jake were like, what if we like make a more legit version of this? Like our clients always kind of like laugh at us as we pull out this broken shard of glass. We're trying to like operate and hold it. And it's like very difficult. So what if we just like make a prototype just for our own projects? And if there's something to it, cool, maybe we'll sell it. And I was like, dude, let's do it. And I literally like shortly after that video, like got this little small garage warehouse space in downtown, got like a drill press, watched a YouTube tutorial on like how to drill glass. And like, it was just, it was fun. I, I love, I've always been someone who's loved to learn. And I've always been like the mindset of like, jump off the cliff and build the parachute as you fall. And it kind of like forces you to figure it out or you will like obviously fall to your demise in that analogy. So I've always been like all in on something. So yeah, after like kind of making the first prototypes, we like put a pre-order up on like our, our website and like sold like 500 of them over like the first few days. And the crazy thing is like, we were, you know, some people like, oh, those are just like AliExpress or dropship. Like, no, like we literally make them. So like I was literally having to drill like 500 of this of these things. And yeah, I mean, obviously that story could go on. That could be a whole episode in itself. But that story kind of came once again from us being freelancers, being on set, recognizing a problem we are experiencing, which was like trying to get cool effects in camera, but like also our clients and artists like looking at us like, dude, why are you holding a broken piece of glass? And like trying to solve that problem with a product, you know, mm. so... That's mm. so sick, man. Yeah, I have. Uh, I was probably one of those first 500 pre-orders because I saw it and I was like, "Dude, this is sick!" And I like bought like the master bundle and I was like, "I'm gonna try them all." And I remember, oh getting the, no way, the, yeah, I remember getting the filters and being like, "Oh, sick! Like I can rotate them too." And like uh, some of the like broken. Oh, I apologize if the first if you got was <laughs> jank because I mean, obviously, like I had to like some of them. Like I do, we do like have photos of the first yeah. you know, prototypes and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that version of this filter like went out. And like, we've invested a lot in like manufacturing and stuff now, yeah. but like, it's just, dude, the first wave was like, okay, this is not good, <laughs> you know? But I mean, it worked. Like, I think people got them. And the cool thing about that product is people want to share it. Like, which is really yeah. cool that we've like built a culture around that brand where like you buy a LUT pack. Unfortunately, you're not gonna like grab your phone and film your screen, just bought a LUT pack. Like there's not like a real shareable element to that right it's just a digital you're looking at a screen but people sometimes have never seen these prisms or these orbs or these so like they feel excited in the want and need to share it yeah. and i guess to like give a little bit of inspiration to a creative entrepreneur who maybe wants to make a business like keep in mind that you ideally want your product to be something that is fun exciting and shareable because that's led to a lot of the success from prism is we ship out these orders people love unboxing it and holding it up and tagging us and that creates a further domino effect because all of these people are sharing on behalf of us and we never like set out from day one like we want this to happen it was just like a byproduct of our packaging and the product and the design 
And yeah, we've learned a lot from that because like our customer unboxing experience is a like a big marketing strategy of ours. Like we have people to your point, opening it up and looking at it and tagging us. So I know it's like a side tangent, but I, it made me think that that is something that was that I would definitely want to pass on to your audience is like factor that into your product if you're making something, you know. I love that. How fulfilling. I, I feel like this would be so fulfilling. So when you see other like music videos or even commercials, I think I've seen y'all like tag or like post something and be like, this is our, you know, this is from Tropic Color. Like we could tell, or like, this is a, a prism. Um, how fulfilling oh, yeah. is that? And do y'all, do y'all see that? Like, I'm sure you get tagged. I think we've even tagged you guys because oh, yeah. Joey and we, we use them. How fulfilling is that to see like people enjoying your product and, and, and the dope stuff they're doing with it? Oh, a hundred percent. And, I think the stuff that's the most fulfilling, sure, seeing it in like a a cool like Apple commercial or, you know, whatever it might be. We get tagged in a lot of cool stuff. I think for me, the one that's most impactful is like seeing it being used on music videos. Because even though I'm not shooting music videos day in mm. and day out like I used to be, to still like in a weird way create something that is still helping other aspiring cinematographers like have that like to be involved in their music videos in a like, kind of like a degree of separation, like through the filter where like I've created a tool that my version of self would have loved to have when I was starting out in 2013 yeah. or 14. So like having like a cinematographer who's on the rise, who just bought their first camera has our filters maybe in their backpack next to some other stuff and they feel the need or want to pull it out and are excited about the shots they're getting. Like that to me is so cool. Like I, I never, you know, never, intended that to happen but like seeing like seeing myself and our brand get like tagged in like other people's music videos it like is like a full circle moment if you know what i mean so that's that's so cool i don't want to hijack there's so many questions i, know, I want bro. to know but i got to share this story real quick so i think it was 2020 okay. or 2021 um you know we had booked joey a music video with one of our clients brand new client um he was all set to film he gets covid or the flu or something i can't send him a set he's got a fever mm. right he gets me, I don't know how he got the, the he gives oh, yeah. me the, the Prism Lens Effects filter kit he was talking about. He got it to me. Maybe it was 2022. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't shoot anymore. Like 2020, 2021, same thing. I had like stopped shooting, you know, re every once in a while. Maybe I do like a steady cam gig, but I was like, you know, just really producing, directing, operating company. I'm like, I don't have anybody to do this. <laughs> Joey's like, I got these dope. Uh, prism lens filters. I'm going to tell you what to do. Here's what you do. So we're on the phone, like talking through it while he's got COVID. Oh, no way. <laughs> and then, and then the client shows up, I end up like having to pivot the location. I, I live on some land. So I have like this, you know, back lot with some cool stuff and back there, but like still it's just like woods. I mean, so anyways, all this to be said, those prism lens bro saved my butt because I, I was like, dude, I don't even remember like what's cool anymore. How do I, how do I make this shot look cool? Oh, and no those way. filters elevated it and the, and our uh, client freaking loved the video. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Cause I don't shoot anymore. <laughs> and I got away with it. You know, like they were like, this is super dope. Uh, she got a bunch of views online too. Yeah. Like that music video did really, really well. Anyways, I I'm like pretty the, sure you cut like like each shot was just like a different oh, prism yeah, lens 100%. effects filter that it was like oh, here's no the way. kaleidoscope, cool. here's yeah. the star filter. I was hiding yeah. all of my like cinematography <laughs> failures of like man, I haven't done this in a long time with all of the prism lens effects, man, for sure. <laughs> well, no, what's cool with like a client and so, specifically like artists, you know, like I feel like let's be honest, doing a music video is like so awkward, right? You have 
sometimes a rapper, a singer, an artist standing in the spotlight, like lip syncing the song. And it's like kind of just a, if you really like zoom out enough, you're like, okay, this is kind of weird, right? But we all just accept <laughs> it. Like that's what a music video is. So I think a lot of times I found when I was coming up, like I, I could tell like a lot of sometimes music video artists, rappers, whatever come up and they're like kind of insecure. They always, at least in the beginning of the shoot, like want to see playback. They're like, yo, mm -hmm. can I see that last one? And sometimes that can like really slow down the shoot. You're like, no, trust me. It's good. It's good. And what I found, and this isn't me trying to like oversell it, but it really is like a, a truth to it is sometimes having like cool in-camera effects. And even when I was using those little champagne flutes and stuff, when the artist sees something they've never really seen, they're like, whoa, like this is really cool. And it kind of like gave them the confidence to keep doing their thing where versus like seeing something that's like, oh yeah, we're going to add this thing in post. Yeah. It's like, oh, like the artist doesn't understand that. So like, I do think like there is something really cool about in-camera effects is like it allows the artist or your instance, the client to be like, oh yeah, that is really cool. And like they, they are immediately on your same like wavelength versus like I've been on videos where like, oh yeah, we're going to like animate those vines behind you and they're going to go like this. And like, I literally like comically like look at the artist and they're like, oh, okay. Like they're so <laughs> detached from the final product. So like right. well, you can kind of get closer to the final product, like on the day, like I think it just gets all the people involved, like on the same page, if that makes Dude, sense. That's so, so that's true. a cool story yeah, though. No, I, I, I've been in those instances. So yeah, yeah, that's so true. And that I experienced that on that set too. You know, it's the playback and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, let's keep doing all of this, you know? So definitely a big win. One yeah. of the other cool things about just doing the effects in camera is that like, sometimes you're going to get these little, you know, happy accidents with like the imperfections of how the sunlight reflects off of a certain spot that like, you're going to get a different final product than you would if you just took like some flare overlay and set it to screen. You oh, know what I, I mean? Know. Like you get, you get way more unique, like a way more unique final product when you actually, you know, distort something in camera or, you know, flare in camera a certain way, uh, than you would ever oh, get. Oh, totally. Yeah. And even some of like the ghosting stuff that y'all are like creating now, like you, you can't even replicate that without doing it in camera. And so, yeah. Or if you were to try, it would be so expensive. I have buddies yeah. who are like VFX artists and stuff. And like, I see sometimes their bids on these videos and it's like so much money and so much computing power. And it's like, I don't know. I, I get it. Like there's a, a place for that for sure. But if what you're doing in post is kind of recreating like a photography trick. Like I, I've always been, maybe I'm a bit biased, but like I've always been a proponent of like, no, like it's, it's actually so fun to do it in camera. Cause mm -hmm. it's like a lot of ways. And this is also kind of circling back to that journey of starting out as a filmmaker doing so many music videos. And I, maybe you've experienced even with some client projects where it's like, God, like, what do I do? I want to wake up and feel excited. But when you're kind of at the same studio, the same space light, the same rappers, smoking or in a car like it all starts to feel very like the same right so like you're thinking to like what can i do to like make this feel different and i think in a lot of ways like doing cool things if it's like using a jib a crane a cool tripod head or a filter like it kind of helps you like feel excited about the project versus like oh god like another i mean i i, I wish i saved them there's been so many treatments that have the same concept in them and it's no diss to the director because I'm sure they've never done that style video. But being a director, you hop around to so many projects that you're like, I swear living in California, the amount of videos I've seen that have a treatment that either shoot out at the Salt Lake bed or the dry you know, uh, desert or as an artist driving a car on the Pacific Coast Highway is like nauseating. Like it is mm -hmm. so, it's like, 
I, I sometimes look at those treatments. I'm like, dude, I have done like 50 of those videos. Like I do not want to do this. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like you guys could probably relate. There's probably like client briefs where it's like, oh my God, like the same. I've yep. done this a million times. You yes. know what I mean? So. Oh yeah. Do you have, do you have a specific product or specific venture that you've done that you feel like you're most proud of uh, to like show off the final product or like felt like the biggest accomplishment to get get it to where it's at right now i think i think prism lens effects for me I, i'm probably i would say the most proud of because it there there has been elements to this company that have somewhat been frustrating like the amount of times it's been like knocked off like you go on amazon and I mean, maybe no, I, you know, because obviously some of your audience might be like, oh, shit, you can get them for a lot cheaper and knock off. <laughs> like, I guess it's a sign that you're doing something right when people mm. feel the need to knock you off. Like, and I, I always kind of have this conversation with like my business partner because we get sometimes kind of bummed where it's like, dude, like we're getting knocked off left and right. Like you go on Amazon and type in like dream effects filter and we're, we're working on getting on Amazon. It's actually kind of difficult, but like there's companies, these, you know, kind of like knockoff companies who are using our words. It literally says prism lens dream in their description uh. and people are buying those thinking it's ours. So I guess what I'm saying to answer your question, it is, I think prism is the most fulfilling and that is sometimes a byproduct of that success is you're going to see it get knocked off. And it's a reminder that if we had a really dumb idea, I don't think anyone would really want to knock it off. So it is kind mm -hmm. of like validating that, you know, seeing iterations and people using our actual brand name in their SEO, in their advertising, or even in the product description, like is a reminder of like, okay, like we've definitely done something right, or at least uh, interesting to where these other brands feel the need and want to, to copy it, if that makes sense. So, yeah, man, I have definitely uh, gone online and seen like, probably most of the stuff that y'all have been creating oh yeah like knocked off and there's like you know a freaking kroger brand version of what y'all have been doing oh, and it's 100%. like the wavy part is they're using a lot of our photos from our website yeah, so like dude. they'll go and it's a lot of these i most american brands i mean i hope not i haven't noticed one but it's a lot of these like uh like uh chinese knockoffs will go to our website and like screenshot our photos and use it as their photos. So like we get people who get our filter and be like, yo, your this filter's crap. It fell apart. And that we look at the photo and zoom in and we're like, yo, that's yeah, like you said, the the Kroger one or whatever the knockoff one. <laughs> yeah. But like they're like, oh, but we, it said prism lens and we're like, oh my God, like this. So anyways, we're we're working through that. But like I guess all in all, like that is kind of something that naturally happens when you create something that I think yeah, people want and uh, have a need for. And um, mm. yeah, I guess to make it more positive, I, I do think Prism Lens Effects has been one of the fun, you know, not uh, like one of the most enjoyable and fulfilling endeavors that started out as like a little bootstrap running like a 300 square foot shed in downtown LA, which has grown into like this massive company where we have like, you know, 30 media buyers and Facebook and, you know, we have several people building we have email like it's this massive thing that i'm still a part of but it's like no longer just me and jake like it's cool to have like a team of people you know what i mean and that that to me is like a very fulfilling uh, aspect to that you know what i mean i love it man uh well i would be remiss if i didn't also jump into some of the film locations that you guys have built and kicked off as well man uh i feel like i don't know probably like what four or five maybe six years ago you guys started dipping into that 
like pool. Maybe it was, I, I don't know the exact time frame, but I feel like whenever- It was actually it, during COVID. Dang. So like literally like just over three years ago, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but I feel like the level of competition on peer space for film oh, locations yeah. and people just like popping up studios has skyrocketed in the last like three years. Um, oh, hundred percent. I don't know if that's post COVID or if you guys just literally, you know, I think in a lot of ways you made a lot of filmmakers see that it was possible to do it and, and have a successful business yeah. model out of it. Um, I think part of that too, um, and not that I would do it any differently, but we've always been very transparent. Like not that we're showing our Chase bank account, but like we show the journey. We show myself welding and building these things. We show how we set and lit. Like there's a lot of behind the scenes for free online. So yeah, naturally you'll have like snakes in the grass, like studying and looking at it. And we literally see studios with the same exact uh, sets that we've built. Um, mm. And it's like the prism knockoff thing. Like you could spend all your time and energy being mad and pouting, or you just keep doing what you're good at. And I've always just been like, you know what? Yeah, that's weird, but I'm just going to keep staying in my own lane. And yeah, I think for me, like the location thing was actually kind of like by accident, like where our first little shed was. And I say it's a shed. It was probably no bigger than the room I'm in now where we were building and assembling and shipping out our prism filters that complex was this like kind of industrial park and it had this really cool red military hangar from like the 1930s and like we would literally park our cars in front of it and like every day we'd like show up to work prism to fulfill build some orders and i'd always look up at this like giant red hangar and be like oh this is a really cool building didn't think much of it right a year goes in we're doing prism fulfilling orders all that stuff literally the landlord of the whole complex comes in he sees our operation. He sees, you know, how passionate and excited we are. And he goes, I love what you guys are doing. Just so you know, like if you need a bigger unit for your operation here, this giant red hanger just opened up and we're like, oh, and like we literally like opened the door and looked around we're like, dude, this is dope. Like when we were starting out as like filmmakers, these were the things we were paying like two or three K a day to go shoot in for mm. rap videos and music videos and commercials. So we're like, dude, do we just like rent it out? And like, yeah, I think actually we got this in 2019 in like December. So it was like just before COVID. Mm. Um, and yeah, we just like signed a lease, got it, like threw it on Peerspace. And like, uh, I think it's it's definitely one of the most booked spots. It's called The Barracks in Los Angeles. I think it has like over 2,000 bookings that have happened wow. in the last three years. Uh, so, I mean, it's like literally sometimes three bookings in one day. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's, it's definitely, po it's really cool like to see it in like a Lil Wayne video or like a YG video. Like I'll see videos and sometimes even on like Netflix, like little snippets where I'm like, wait, that's the set. You know what I mean? So it is funny to like sometimes like see it or spot it like way later on. You know what I mean? So Yeah. I actually shot in, I, I didn't the, that version of the barracks like isn't, doesn't it no longer exist now? Like y'all had a yeah, neighbor so or something? That also was kind of like a wavy story. Like, so we got it, like we signed it in December of 2019 and then COVID happened obviously in March of 2020. And like, obviously we tried to be as safe as possible, but we still have a, a, a rent to pay, which is 5,000 a month to like rent that hanger. So like, obviously like when it was like deemed okay to like wear masks and have hand sanitizers, like we were doing that. But the other people who are renting the building, like the other units around us, like complained to that building owner like oh they're so unsafe like there's so many people in there shooting a music video even though like we were following all like the covid protocols and like literally on a whim <clears throat> that same guy who was like yo i got this open hanger come shooting it was like yo you guys are out like i can't have this activity here during covid and we we're like 
we were just getting moving. And fortunately, just down the street was another actually double the size warehouse. Hmm. So we were able to like pivot and move to that. But I guess that I think would be like a cool like piece of wisdom or uh, thing to pass to your audience, like listening or watching is there's going to be times in your creative business, whatever it might be, where you think you're at your lowest, like to get rug pulled from that business hmm. after we had set up all the bank accounts, the EIN number, all the you know accounting, everything to literally be rug pulled in 30 days, have to find a brand new building, sign a lease and move all of our sets over. I mean, it was madness, right? But like it literally has allowed us to scale because we're in a much bigger building. So like there's kind of like a silver lining and everything like in the moment, that was the worst case scenario. But like being three years fast forward, it was the best pivot ever because now we're able to like do much larger volume productions and stuff. So I challenge anyone who's like going through it right now be like, dude, I'm literally, this is the worst case scenario that you're going to learn something from it and you can probably come out the side like stronger and better and probably more informed anyways. Bro, I love that. That's so valuable and just encouraging too for the people that go through the quote unquote creative failures or whatever to like, um, yeah. you know, I watched like a video on Instagram and, and uh, <laughs> I think it was actually like Dan Bilzerian or something talking and he was like telling a story of like, you know, when something bad happens, there's like a parable of like, well, maybe it's bad. And like it, he goes on this rant and just like talks about like anything that seems bad. Well, maybe it's leading to the next thing that's actually like a really great positive outcome that you didn't you would have mm -hmm. never got to if that bad thing didn't happen in the first place. And so it's it's oh, just yeah. a, a good perspective perspective to have whenever you go through, um, you know, that challenging uh, quote unquote, you almost have failure. to treat like failures as like research and development. You know what I mean? You know how companies sink millions of dollars and time and energy into R and D to make a new iPhone or make a new red camera. Like in a way, like failing as a creator is kind of like R and D you're like, it, it sucks. And maybe sometimes you feel ashamed or like, dude, how did I let this happen? But if you can kind of let go of that stigma and be like, yeah, like what did I learn from this and yeah. like use it to like, inform your next decision, then I think you're totally good. You know what I mean? I love it, man. I remember shooting at the OG barracks and uh, being on the phone with you trying to figure out how to get the Titan tube app to work, but like shooting in the container and like, Oh dude, that app. I I'm actually, I'm like definitely team Astera and Amarin or sorry, uh, Amarin and Aperture now. Yeah. I, we, we still have those uh, Astera tubes, but God, the app is so difficult. It's horrible, like, bro. especially if like, Oh, it's so bad. And I, I knew if you're listening, Astera, like definitely <laughs> try to fix that. Cause like the, the Cytus link app is so easy. It's like, so and intuitive. We have some like pixel tubes now and it's like way better. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, man. So. Well, I, I remember doing that and shooting at that, that studio. And it was like, we had like the coolest video, one of the coolest videos that we had probably done to date in like a three hour booking, like did the plexiglass platform oh, wow. and the container. Oh yeah. Like shoot. did <laughs> literally had like the, all, all of the bells and whistles and like rushed it in three hours because we had no budget at the time Flying. but it, yeah. dude yeah we like flew through there and it was it was so sick we we still love that video today for the for the listeners that are interested and and honestly just being transparent for shane and myself uh like we're we've been looking at getting into like building a studio not only for other people to rent but even just for our own stuff that we're creating for ourselves do you have any advice for people who are and and again it is becoming more of a uh i don't want to say mainstream but in in a way like more of a mainstream thing to do for like creatives to like build their own studios do you have any advice or any 
thing that you have learned in doing all of this different studios that you've built um, to kind of position yourself to be in a, a successful place to launch? Yeah, I would say approach uh, anything. I think this advice could apply to anything, but more specifically, if we're going to talk about building a studio, building a location that you want to rent on Peerspace or Gigster, uh, and you could rent it out independently, but those apps are kind of like, for those that don't know, like the Airbnb or VRBO of the film location world. And as much as you'd be like, oh no, I'll build up my own website and rent it out on that. Those, you don't want to do that. Like um, not to get like too nitty gritty, but like we had something really crazy go down at one of our warehouses where the people who shot there did a prank and they're getting sued and they tried to sue us. But like mm, being on wow. peer space, we are like, it like adds this invisible barrier of protection. But if like you just rent it out on, you know, you know, oh, hey, here's 500 bucks. Can I use your studio? And someone falls off a ladder and they sue mm -hmm. you for a liability thing. So all, all to say, you want to be on one of these apps, the Peerspace or uh, Gigster are the two big ones. Um, and ideally, like, uh, like reverse engineer, right? Because we had one studio we did out of the six we have currently that failed. And it didn't fail where we were losing a lot of money. It would literally like make $3,000, but rent was two and all of our site reps and managerial costs were 1000 it was just spinning its wheels. It was a car that was flooring it that wasn't moving. So after that lease ended in a year, we walked away from it. And like I said, like we used that as R&D. We're like, okay, why did this fail? Mm. And it failed because we were doing something that we didn't weren't passionate about. We saw all these cool Pinterest boards of making this really cool pink girly loft. And we thought, okay, we'll make the walls fur. We'll paint this room pink. We'll do a disco ball. Like, we, and this is also like a social media and stuff's picking up. And we're like, oh, like, uh, you know, we'll, we could easily see like the Tana Mojos or the Instagram girls or what or models, influencers. This is for them, right? So like we built something not for ourselves, for an audience we thought we could capture. Mm. And yeah, that kind of happened for the first couple of months. And then it just didn't take off. And it was, it didn't take off because it wasn't something that we were like solely interested in. Like it, it was some, not something that, we really felt any connection to. So yeah, I guess my bigger piece of advice is a build something that you as a filmmaker would be excited to see. Like if you got a pitch deck or treatment from a director and you saw the images of where the location would be and you're like, Whoa, this spot is dope. It's got this, 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 this video is going to be amazing. Like think about it in terms of what would make you excited as a filmmaker. And secondly, try to assess or reverse engineer what already exists in your area? Uh, you guys are based in Texas or in yeah, in Dallas. Dallas. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys are like one of the first ones to pop off there. Maybe there already is a bunch of studios in LA specifically. Like uh, there's so many studios. I think that's probably like where most of the peer space activity in terms of listings are. Like if you're listening and you are in a larger city where there's already so many of them, try to create something that does not exist. And I know that sounds so vanilla. It's like, oh, of course, like, why wouldn't you do that? You'd be surprised how many people open up a white psych studio or open up something that there's already a million of. And, you know, obviously uh, I say that having just opened up a white psych studio, that one is a different story. It was actually um, like Warner Brothers. They uh, built out this like million dollar white psych studio and then the writer's strike happened and they had to leave and exit their lease. And the owner of that building just happened to be the owner of our other, like our honeymoon building, like another one of our locations and said like, Hey, do you want to just jump in and take over their lease? They put 
a million dollars worth of soundproofing and all this stuff. Like it's already done. You just want the keys. So like, I, I, I only add that because some people listen to me like, wait, doesn't Tom own a white sack studio? <laughs> so we do have one and we, we see, but to that point, we added all this RGB lighting. We added these things that we feel other white sack studios didn't have. So mm. I guess to like the, like really boil it down, try to identify what you think is exciting and something that ideally does not exist in large quantities that is kind of makes you a niche, makes you a one of one. And maybe that's niching down in like your studio is everything and every single thing is painted red. Or maybe that's like you have all this pre-lighting and it's like, I don't know, like something that's like, whoa, I've never seen that before. Like you see that bat cave in LA that's used in every single commercial with the ceiling with all the LED lights. That guy probably spent a bag of money building that. But guess what? He's the only one with that studio and he prints money. I think he makes like five or 10K a day. So like try to like envision something that doesn't exist that you would be excited to use as a filmmaker, if that makes sense. That's Bro. so good. Yeah. Yep. I, we, man, I, I, we've been doing the research. So, you know, Dallas has got a pretty big pure space. I feel like there's a ton of flex and small studios and there's so many white Sykes. There's so many. 100%. Now there's a lot of volume walls. You know, that's the big. And, and yeah. we love the volume wall game. And we're like, oh, this could be valuable. But it's like, yeah, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, one of the, uh, I think it's uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. But it's like, you either got to be first or you got to be the best. Right. And so, like, I, I think with the best, um, it's kind of like what, going back to what you were saying, what makes you unique or what you're offering unique. And it's so true. Look at it like our brain is exploding by looking at all these studios. And some of them, I'm like, this is dope. This is unique. I want to go shoot there. And dang it, they already did it yeah. first. And it looks like the best right now. But that's solid advice, man. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we'll be, our studio should be up in a couple of months. Is, Hopefully is, uh, so, man. That's yeah. the goal. Depends when this podcast gets Right, 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 right. <laughs> Give us some grace time. Yep. Yeah. Man, uh, bro, I could talk to you all day, bro. I feel like I only scratched the surface of all the questions that uh, I could ask you, but I want to be respectful of time. I've probably already gone over. Um, but we got three questions that we like to ask each of our guests before we wrap them out of the studio. And uh, man, the first one is, if you could go back in your career, what is one thing that you would have done differently? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I do sometimes feel kind of waves of nostalgia, like looking back at like my filmmaking journey. And I think everyone's got a journey. And that's really the cool thing about filmmaking is it's not like being a lawyer where every lawyer has the same journey. You go to law school, you pass the bar, you're a lawyer. Like everyone has that same thing. Filmmaking, everyone's journey is different. You could mm. start out doing music videos. You could start out as a real estate videographer, a wedding videographer. Like there's all these like low key variants of filmmakers doing different things. And when I look at mine, yeah, there's moments that I probably would do differently, right? Like I probably wouldn't go to film school. It was very expensive. I probably would have moved to LA a little sooner if I could. Uh, you know, there's all these little things that would change. But then I also wonder about like the butterfly effect. Like I wonder if not doing certain things would not have certain dominoes flip over. Like would I have not met my business partner, Jake? Would I have not opened Tropicolor? So in a way, I kind of wouldn't change anything. And I know that maybe sounds like a cop out, but even the highs and the lows, I kind of like that I have all those on my track record because it kind of has allowed me to do what I'm doing now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like that, I've... I think there's nothing where I look back. I'm like, oh my God, I wish I avoided this like the plague because I haven't really had too many of those. And sure, I've had some bad days on set. 
I've had some people I wish I probably never met, worked with, you know, stuff like that. That naturally happens in filmmaking. But beyond that, I think all of that's kind of led me to where I'm at now. And I'm pretty happy with where uh, I'm at now. So, yeah, I don't think there'd be too many things I'd want to go back and like retcon if I could. So I love that positive yeah. outlook uh, on on the journey, man. I couldn't agree more. That's great. 100% man. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers trying to grow in their craft or their business? I think as much as possible now, given however aware we are of other creators, I think with social media being the way it is, you are kind of constantly being served so many amazing people that it can sometimes be daunting as a creator. And you're like, oh my God, there's another amazing cinematographer, another amazing director. In your instance, another amazing film studio. It can kind of feel like you're getting drowned by everyone's amazing things. So I think what I would I would really uh, instill in anyone who's a creative entrepreneur or someone who's trying to kind of figure it out is as much as possible, niche down. And I know that's uh, maybe kind of uh, stereotypical, but like really understanding your niche. I think if you go to someone's website and it says drone videographer, uh, Steadicam operator, director, DEO, you know, and it's this huge menu of things. I know the impulse is like, oh, well, I want to show that I have all these skill sets. And that's amazing. Like, if you have all those skill sets, that's great. But if you are having like a client facing brand, or if you're trying to market yourself as a cinematographer, or director, like really hone your niche. And that way, when the client comes to you, it's a series of easy decisions. That client sees that you are an expert in your field and feels confident booking you versus like, okay, like he does all these things or she does all these things. Like, are they even that good at any of them? It's like that whole like jack of trade, master of none. So I think my advice for anyone starting out is find out what your unfair advantage is. Maybe you're amazing at lighting. Maybe you're amazing at color grading, whatever that is, and really niche down as much as possible. And I think that's going to allow you to elevate above other people who probably do way too many things anyways. You know what I mean? So good, man. I feel like I've heard that advice from so many people that are successful and it's so difficult to do when you do know how to do a little bit of everything. But I think there is like the riches are in the niches. And if you can go and just be the guy for this one thing, yeah. like it's so much easier to grow that one thing than to grow 17 that you're competent in executing. So I love that, man. A hundred percent. Last question for you, bro. Who is one filmmaker who has inspired you or your work? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think there's a director that when I was coming up, when a video of his dropped, it was kind of like, it was like, oh my God, like, you know, you stop what you're doing, go to his Vimeo or website. And I might be mispronouncing his last name. It's Solomon Lichthelm or Lighthelm. Uh, miss, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. I think he's a commercial director and he has just this amazing sensibility as a director. And I think he has some of the best looking stuff on his Vimeo, his website. And like when I was coming up, I was always guilty of loading his video in 4K and just screen grabbing a bunch of things and building my own little mood boards that I would, when I was on a project and a director's like, hey, how do you want to shoot this? I would literally feed them these frames because I selfishly wanted to recreate some of the amazing work he was doing. So, and I think he's still working today. I mean, I've, you know, obviously being a little out of the circuit of shooting day to day and being more focused on my companies, like I don't follow all the DPs and stuff I used to. I mean, um, I still obviously admire their work, but it's not always like right in front of my face. But yeah, when I was coming up, like that guy was 
the goat. And I think he still is. Like he, I see some stuff of his sometimes hit my feet. I'm like, wow, like just crazy wire work and just amazing cinematography. And yeah, I think he's someone that probably will have a bright future and do some really cool stuff in the future. So I love it, man. I love when I get to hear somebody new other than like Christopher Nolan. Cause that's one of the most popular oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> answers like on the show. And obviously- I mean, obviously he's a goat, but I, I think it is fun to kind of like dive into like goats that no one's heard about you know like obviously that was the funny thing about being in film school is like right when i you know day one everyone's like oh what movies do you like it's like the amount of people that say oh yeah quentin tarantino and there's nothing wrong with that but it is really cool to like find the people who would like throw out like a really bizarre director like oh yeah i like gaspar no this french director and you're like whoa you're interesting like let's talk like it is cool to like understand like other people's references and there's like that that famous uh, book, right? I think it's called uh, Steal Like an Artist, right? Mm. And like their whole premise is basically if I'm inspired by you, Joey, I'm not going to steal your frames and steal your style. I'm going to look at who you're inspired by and look at their work. And then I'm going to look at that person and see who they were inspired by. So I almost reverse engineer where you got your skills or your sensibilities and study from who you studied from. And that way, like, it's not like a direct copy. It's more iterative. So I can kind of like get your influences without directly stealing your frame or directly stealing your style. So yeah, I would challenge anybody if you're like, I love Christopher Nolan. Okay, we'll find out an interview where he talks about what inspired him and then find out who that guy was. And then study their work. And that's how you're going to like learn better than just like ripping a shot from Oppenheimer, which I guess you could do. But let's be honest. I think a lot of people are like, wait, you just copied that shot. You know what I mean? So that's so good. That's such a great piece of advice yeah. that could apply to a lot of different uh, positions. 100%, that's bro. great, man. Yeah, I think that might be one of my favorite answers from who's got a favorite filmmaker. Like yeah. that was that was yeah. solid, bro. Yeah, check him out. I mean, he's definitely like kind of like vimeo staff pick has so many of those kind of awards like has never i mean maybe he has since then like he's not your director you're gonna go on imdb and like oh my god he did this movie like he is very much like a commercial director i think the one piece i would recommend watch his valvoline commercial that k airs mendy shot with headphones the sound design the voiceover the shot selection like you're gonna watch it and it just kind of gives you goosebumps you're like whoa like this is dope you know what i mean so Dude, Anyways, I that would be that. my my challenge to anyone listening is to go check that out. It's a cool piece. We'll find that link. We'll put it in the description. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go check that out. So sick, man, bro. I, like I said, I could talk to you for hours, man. I definitely uh, appreciate your time just pouring into the podcast, and not only that, man, just pouring into the filmmaking community and like seriously, seriously paving new grounds for people to just be inspired to like, I, I know for me personally, man, I, it's been inspiring just to follow your journey and see you guys take risks. And then for those risks to become successes and then for those successes to be duplicated and ripped off. And it's like, it's super cool on, uh, just the other side of this to watch what you guys are doing and be inspired and, and to be able to utilize your products and, and your film locations to then create my own art. So again, just want to pay it forward and say, we appreciate you for what you're doing in the filmmaking community and even taking time to be on the podcast, man. Oh, hundred percent. Been looking forward to this and yeah, maybe I have to like run it back. Uh, if you guys 100%. down the road, do another season, uh, you know, always happy to come back and Maybe then we can talk about, you know, your guys' film studio and a little bit of like what you guys have been up to since. So look forward to it. Love it, dude. Well, man, for those that want to get connected with you and learn more about you, man, what's the best place for them to get in touch? Yeah. So my Instagram, though I'm not that active on it, is Tom period Taher uh, at, you know, at Tom Taher. And more more specifically, like my 
my time and energy for the most part is going to Tropic Color and Prism Lens Effects, which are two filmmaking adjacent style brands that I'm the owner of or co-owner of. And yeah, that's if you want to check out either like in-camera assets, courses, you know, that kind of stuff. We've got Tropicolor and then I've got this in-camera effects prism filter company called Prism Lens Effects. But yeah, um, I don't know, maybe throw those links in the show notes or uh, it's usually how you do it, right? Absolutely, man. We'll have those links down below as well. That's great. We got it, man. Well, thanks again for tuning in. We will see you guys next time on the Rough Cut Club.